Hey, it's John. Welcome back to another episode of A Galaxy Far, Far Away, the Star Wars History Podcast. Today, May 21st, 2020, is a very auspicious day for Star Wars fans. This is the 40th anniversary of The Empire Strikes Back being released in theaters back in 1980. Today seems as good a day as any for me to launch my Patreon as well as this episode. I'll post links to it on the website as well as Instagram, Facebook. Uh, it's patreon.com slash a galaxy far, far away. Easy to remember. The reason I have decided to start a Patreon is not only the fact that several listeners have already reached out suggesting that I should do so, but also because I want you listeners to hold me accountable, and this is a great way for you to do that. Even if only one of you is providing some financial support to this venture of mine, I will be well motivated to not get lazy and slack off and disappoint you. Also, realistically, financial support for this is much appreciated because it does take a lot of time and energy this is a one-man show. I record and edit each episode completely by myself, manage the website and the social media, manage the web hosting, and all of that oh-so-fun behind-the-scenes stuff. And I am, of course, more than happy to continue to do that for no compensation because I enjoy doing this, but I, of course, would appreciate support from you, my listeners, if you feel that I have earned it. The Patreon is going to start out as a two-tier or two-level subscription. The first tier, the youngling level, is $10 per month, so for the cost of about two cups of coffee a month, depending on where you go, you get my eternal gratitude. This is just for those who want to support the show at a basic level whose return on investment is keeping me motivated and accountable and helping to offset the costs of producing this podcast. And the second tier, or the Padawan tier, for $5 more at $15 a month is where you'll receive the bonus content. This is going to be mostly behind-the-scenes stuff, the first thing is definitely going to be the mostly unedited video of the interview I had with my friends about our favorite Star Wars movies. Uh, you'll also additionally be given a shout out in an episode when you first join the Padawan level. In the future, as my listener support grows, I have aspirations for adding more tiers and more exclusive content and extras for my listeners and patrons of higher levels, but I think that this is a good point for just starting out, both for me and for all of you. So again, patreon.com slash a galaxy far, far away. There will be links to that everywhere. No obligation whatsoever. I'm going to, of course, keep producing the podcast as is for free, but 
For those of you who feel compelled to support me, I would deeply appreciate it. And now, back to the story. We left off with Zim's Empire and the Hut Empire on a collision course. This is Episode 9, Zim's Demise. At the height of his empire, Zim's control stretched across a massive amount of space. He had hundreds of thousands of worlds under his control. His territory was divided into eight provinces, or thrones as he called them. But he, of course, wanted more. At this point in their history, the Taiwanese people still had not developed the sort of modern hyperspace technology that we are familiar with in Star Wars with the onboard Navic computers on each ship to calculate the safe route through hyperspace without crashing into anything dangerous. Take a few moments to get the coordinates from the Navic computer. Are you kidding? They're right there gaining? Traveling through hyperspace in like dust and crops, boy. Without precise calculations, we'd fly right through a star or bounce too close to a supernova and then it your trip real quick, wouldn't it? So how did the members of Zim's empire travel among these hundreds of thousands of worlds that were under his control? Well, from the time of the very earliest colonization of the Tyon Cluster, as the humans traveled throughout that star group, they left hyperspace beacons. These acted basically like lighthouses for traveling through hyperspace. They were essentially supercomputers hovering out in the middle of space that would record local hyperspace data and use that to create and store safe hyperspace routes to a handful of other nearby beacons and then transmit that information to ships when they arrived nearby. And so the people of the Tyon Cluster would travel through hyperspace through these basically hyperspace highways, jumping from one hyperspace beacon to the next, connecting the dots to each destination. As you can imagine, this method of hyperspace travel was super cumbersome and not very efficient either. It took the people of Tyon thousands of years to establish this network of beacons over a relatively small area of space. Zim was able to drastically expand on that, but at the time he encountered the huts, he was still reliant on these beacons and reliant on scouts to establish those beacons as the empire expanded. Zim first heard about the hut empire from these scouts, and initially, Zim didn't think that war with the huts was inevitable. There were negotiations between the two empires that resulted in an embassy being placed on a planet called Kovari, which pretty much sat right in the border between Hut Space and Zim's empire. However, the Huts, as I mentioned in the episode on Huts, were pretty much enraptured with their own superiority, and it wasn't long before they tried to subjugate the seemingly inferior Taiwanese people. Because of their respect for Zim creating a massive empire, their offer was for the Taiwanese to become particularly favored slaves. This offer was understandably 
rather insulting to Zim, and it was at this point that he vowed to subjugate the huts himself. He made quick work of pushing his hyperspace beacon network farther towards hut space and began to establish a set of fortresses out in space, space stations, on the frontier between his empire and hut-controlled territory, from which he could launch his attacks against the huts. In the 25th year of Zim's rule, he had prepared his army and his fleet and was ready to launch his campaign against the huts. He launched a two-pronged attack against two separate planets. First, the planet Kovari, where the embassy was located on the border of hut space, and second, he attacked at the same time the planet of Slaheron, which was an economic stronghold of the Hut Empire. The attack on Kovari was wildly successful. Zim swept away the Hut military presence there and then sacked the planet, decimating the majority of the population and ravaging the planet, turning it into basically a desolate wasteland. However, his military success was not mirrored on Slaheron. This push from the border space into actual hut-controlled territory was too much for Zim, and he was repelled, and his fleet was forced back to Kessel, where the majority of them that weren't already destroyed by the huts were lost or destroyed by the black holes of the Maw. Although Zim was initially repelled, the Huts realized that they had potentially underestimated him and his empire and needed to prepare more completely for a much more escalated conflict in the near future. The Huts called a council of all of the clans to discuss what was to be done. This was the first of any such council to be called as far as we are aware. This is likely the precursor to the Hut Council that ends up being in charge of all of Hut space by the time of the Clone Wars. At this council, they declared Cossack the Hut to be clan general and lead all the clans in their defense against Zim. As you may recall from the Hut episode, the Huts were very much clan-oriented, self-serving, and so it was quite a feat for Cossack to unite all of the clans together for a united purpose when they would much rather have been stabbing each other in the back to increase each individual clan's power. However, he was able to accomplish this by offering to increase the power bases of the major families, basically doling out promises of spoils of war, conquered planets, things of that nature, to entice them to join him, which they did, and then the smaller clans joined up after for fear of being left out and then picked on later by the larger clans with their newfound expanded power. The first thing that Cossack did was empty all of the treasure hordes of all of the huts and use all of the money exclusively on war material and provisions. He promised that he would replenish these treasure supplies through the course of the war, and we will see that he was able to make good on this promise. Cossack did not believe that the Huts could successfully defeat Zim in open head-to-head -head war, and so his primary strategy was sort of to turn Zim's pirate tactics against him. 
He recruited a bunch of mercenaries, uh, particularly of the Weequay species. We see Weequays both in the movie Return of the Jedi working for Jabba the Hutt. They're the guys with the ponytails trying to shove Luke and his friends into the Sarlacc pit. We also see them in the Clone Wars TV show, the famous pirate Hondo, who pops up from time to time, is a wee quay as well, along with the rest of his gang. Cossack the Hutt hired his wee quay mercenaries to act as pirates and harass and cripple and attack the shipping lanes of Zim's empire to weaken him internally and deplete some of his resources away from the war effort. The spoils of these piratical attacks were exactly how Cossack ended up refilling the treasuries of all of those hut warlords. These economic attacks, combined with bribes from Cossack, helped to sway some of Zim's allies over to the hut cause, thereby also weakening Zim from a manpower standpoint. When Cossack felt that he had sufficiently weakened his adversary, he began to prod and goad and provoke Zim, working off of his pride in order to elicit a response that was more in the hut's favor. Cossack proposed a ritual combat, which was a way in which the hut clans had been resolving disputes for a long time, basically a single battle to determine the outcome of a conflict, winner-take-all. And Cossack said that Zim was a coward if he would not undertake this most ancient and noble hut tradition. If he would not accept, he clearly was afraid he could not win a single battle against the huts. And Zim, in his pride, took the bait. In the year 25,100 BBY, the battle took place. Zim arrived at the hut ritual combat world of Vontor. This is a planet deep within hut space that had been used for ritual combat for the huts for centuries. It was decided that this ritual battle would be a naval engagement, a fight between starships and fighters of each side. Zim ultimately lost this battle, and as a result, the penalty for losing the ritual combat, he was forced to withdraw his forces from any world that was claimed by the Hut Empire. Zim complied with this, but this setback did not deter him from his ultimate ambition of defeating the Huts. He regrouped, he began producing more warships, and gathering a larger army. With this new military force, he pushed into an area of space called the Ciclata Cluster, which was a group of star systems clustered right on the edge of hut space. That will be pointed out on some maps that I will post on the website. And he began successfully raiding the planets of Kintan, Klatooine, and Vordan. Again, rather than engage Zim directly, Cossack challenged him yet again to a ritual combat, which he again accepted, this time believing himself to be more prepared to face the huts and was confident in his victory. This ritual combat, known as the Second Battle of Vontor, was fought as a land battle on the surface of the planet this time. 
both sides of this battle sustained very heavy losses. Zim's army was able to destroy the majority of the Hutt's mercenary forces, but eventually the Hutt forces rallied and broke Zim's army. Zim himself fled and was probably rather distracted from the battle itself, which may have contributed to his defeat, because not only was Vontor the ritual combat planet for the Huts, it also was a massive source of Curium ore. Curium ore was highly valuable, highly prized at the time. It was used to armor starships, soldiers, pretty much anything you could name, and this planet had a large supply of it. And over the course of the Second Battle of Vontor, Zim's forces had also been occupied mining this ore, and he fled the battle in defeat, but was able to take a large supply of this highly expensive ore with him. Having been defeated in ritual combat twice now, Zim's warlords counseled him to abandon his conquest of the Hut's base and focus back on his own empire, restoring the weaknesses that are created by these major defeats, and just generally healing the wounds of war. Zim did withdraw slightly out of Hut's base, but he refused to surrender the planet of Kovari, which he had initially taken in his first strike at the very beginning of the conflict. This gave the Huts incentive to launch an offensive of their own. This one was led by Bunta Hestilic Shadru, which I mentioned way back in the holiday special, actually. Bunta the Hut became revered as basically a demigod with the holiday Bunta named after him because of his exploits in the wars against Zim. Bunta built up the Hut forces and was able to conquer, or rather reconquer, Kovari from Zim. Before this could escalate into a full-blown war, however, Cossack proposed a third round of ritual combat on Vontor, which Zim, believe it or not, agreed to. The conditions of this third combat were if Zim won, he would be able to keep Kovari for himself, along with several other worlds that previously were owned by the Huts but Zim had conquered. However, if he were defeated, he would have to renounce all claim on all of the worlds that had been Hut possessions and basically retreat back into his own original empire, never to bother the Huts again. Prior to this battle, Cossack had been working to increase the Hut's military power, seeking out new mercenaries and new slave warriors from various planets. He looked most to the worlds of the Ciclata Cluster, which were, again, the area most affected by the conflict between the two empires. His efforts resulted in the Treaty of Vontor, which created a sizable army of three species, Clatuinians from Clatuin, Vodrans from Vodran, and Nyctos from Kintan. These mercenary forces faced off in the Third Battle of Vontor against Zim's army made up primarily at this time of his war robots I spoke about in the previous episode. The earlier battles and conflicts having taken a mighty toll on the organic parts of Zim's army. This army of hut slaves was able to thoroughly destroy Zim, handing him his final defeat. 
According to Taiwanese legends and historians, Zim was killed in battle. However, reputable sources show that Zim was captured and enslaved, thrown into Cossack the Hut's dungeon on Varl, where he would end up meeting his death in captivity. The aftermath of all of these conflicts between Zim and his empire and the Huts was significant. Following this major success, the Huts invaded and devastated much of the Tyon Cluster, resulting in the Tyonese being debilitated both militarily and economically for quite a long time, effectively eliminating any threat they might pose in the future to the Huts. Additionally, those three species that were absorbed and enslaved by the Huts for their mercenary army continued to serve the Huts even through the time of the Galactic Republic. There were, of course, numerous legends that persisted for millennia about Zim, most notably the one I mentioned in the previous episode, his treasure ship, the Queen of Ran being lost with a tremendous amount of wealth which was actually eventually discovered 25,000 years later by Han Solo, whereupon it was discovered that all of the treasure was now worthless. And finally, Zim had a secret police group called the Gino Haradan that he used to eliminate rivals and enemies and carry out any sort of cloak-and-dagger missions that he needed. This group survived Zim's and the Empire's downfall. Without a central leader, however, they reshaped their existence into a secret bounty hunter's guild that exerted a lot of influence throughout the galaxy in political events through assassination. This group turns up in the video game Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. After the war, the planet of Kovari control of which was basically the nexus of the third and final ritual battle that was the end of Zim's rule, ended up being renamed Bunta in honor of that hut general Bunta, who was able to reconquer the planet from Zim, and upon his death was said to have ascended to godhood, as I have mentioned previously. In the next episode, it is likely we're going to jump back to the galactic core and see what is going on in the newly formed Galactic Republic. The Galactic Republic ends up going to war with the people of the Tyon Cluster as well a little bit down the road. So what the Republic is doing is sort of the third piece of this triangular power struggle, the Tyonese, the Huts, the Galactic Republic, and so let's look at what the Republic was doing that led them to get into conflict with the Tyanese, and then we will jump into the Tyanese War, which is the war between the Republic and the people of the Tyan Cluster, which we have been setting the stage for. Once again, thank you all so much for listening. I really appreciate the support you give me just by me knowing you guys are out there listening. Please follow on social media. Everything is SW Galaxy Podcast, Instagram, Facebook, the website. And I would, of course, appreciate it if you would consider checking out the Patreon. That is patreon.com slash a galaxy far, far away. In honor of the Empire Strikes Back release anniversary today, 
I will leave you with arguably the greatest Harrison Ford ad-lib line in his career, which comes from that movie. And may the Force be with you. I love you. I know. <laughs>